On this episode, I chat with Kyle Johnson, and we talk about the push-pull of education and technology. Hello, everyone. My name is David Campman, and this is Of Tech and Learning, where we cover technology, learning, and education, and everything in between. Welcome, everybody. This is our next episode of Of Tech and Learning, and I have a special guest and colleague on with this episode. So I have with me today uh, Kyle Johnson. He is the Dean of Information Technology and Services at Charminade University. So did I get it pretty close to right? Yes, that sounds great. Awesome. That name is a tricky one, so... I, I'm very, if you, before we recorded this, I was practicing over and over again what, how to pronounce that exactly. So, that, you know, it's one of those, you know, studying, you know, just a little hard study before the test. I'll probably forget it in about three hours type of thing. So um, what we have on topic for today is really um, a wide variety topic that you can go one or another way with it. I mean, you could have a whole series probably on this whole topic. But it came out of the OLC Innovate Conference, and with that conference, like I mentioned before, it really had a lot of people engaging and talking on a wide variety of topics, and it really didn't seem like any topic was out of bounds to be discussed at this conference. Uh, Kyle, what were your thoughts of the conference? Yeah, I mean, it was the first year for this particular conference, so this is a combination of their blended and their online conference, um, you know, it was certainly, I think, a bold place to call it Innovate. Uh, it, it sort of raises the bar for all of the presentations. And, and I would say overall that there were some, certainly some very interesting things there. Um, I, I think still some amount of sort of struggle at, at how, to, how to really think about innovation in a meaningful way. Um, and as you and I have conversed some, you know, this idea of, of innovation has to be more than tool change. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think they're off to a good start with this one, and I'm very interested to see what they do moving forward. Exactly. And I, I hope that more people come to it next year and just add to that conversation, because they had a really good turnout for this first year, and it would be interesting to see if they could double that number, what would come out of that. All right, so the topic really is on the push and pull of, of technology and innovation with education. So Kyle kind of hit the nail on the head there to start it off. It's really about you. we need innovation, we need innovation in higher education. And it's pedagogy and principles and best practices that are what we need to put in place to kind of instill innovation. But we know we also need technology, but where does that fit in? You know, where does the discussion begin with that and so on and so forth? So Kyle, um, introduction thoughts on this. I was talking with a couple of educators and they were they felt that pedagogy almost 
limited what they could try to do with technology. They were looking at all this amazing technology coming out with augmented reality, VR, 3D printing, and they felt that pedagogy almost kind of stifled some of the educators from trying to do things, and they couldn't know what was possible until they tried. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that sort of the pedagogy is holding them back, right? On the IT side, we're always hearing, if only there was this great tool or something that would, some piece of technology that would help us that, you know, somehow magically everything would would work out for them. But, you know, the, I I think it's, that's a really interesting sort of thing to think about some is, 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 is our view of sort of the standard sets of pedagogy really what's holding faculty back? And I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think sometimes what it is is they, they most faculty haven't uh, spent their lives thinking about education. They are experts in their field who teach. And so I wonder if, if what we really need to do is connect folks to people who think about education um, as a theoretical thing and see if there are new models and new things that we could enable with the technology because I, I mean I see a lot of things out there that we could try if we had the right technology to help faculty um, but some of it then is also getting them exposure to those, those sort of pedag pedagogical changes and differences in new ideas. Yeah, it's it's really about building those collaborative efforts, really. Yeah, we're fortunate here at Chamana that we have an education school and we're a primarily teaching institution. And so we have faculty, even in their specific disciplines, who research, look at, and publish about um, the scholarship of teaching and learning. And I think that that... You know, last year or 18 months has really made a big difference here on how the faculty view uh, sort of experimentation because now they're thinking about it not as just I want to try a new tool um, but I want to try a new way of teaching and I want to uh, sort of research that and I want to document it and I want to be able to have something at the end that I can share with my peers and that our faculty center has really spearheaded that, and I think that has made a big difference for us here. Hmm. Yeah, that's always helpful when you can have uh, people that can almost do like double duty on campus where their responsibilities for their education and their teaching fall in line to fit other needs in other areas. That's always helpful. Now, um, one of the discussions I had was about Agile or Scrum methodology in the tech world and for those that are listening that might not know what those methods are about those are instead of planning out what you're going to do the next six months it's the next two weeks what can we take on and what can we advance to try and get a bunch of short bursts to get progress made and the topic really kind of fell into is there a way that education can adapt or align itself with these companies uh, that are that are doing those types of things because in education we we're actually really used to short bursts you know everybody covers units of topic in a few weeks or so we don't cover one topic for a whole semester we break it up 
So we're, it kind of fits in line with how we like to think anyway. So um, with the startup world, and it's particular the educational startup world, do you think that there is a chance that we can have some more connections between those people that are out there trying to do those new technologies and the educators on the other side? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that there is room to think about uh, how we fail quickly. I, I mean, that's the general idea to some extent with Scrum and Agile is let's do something quickly, see if it's what they want. If it's not, iterate back and try again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the challenge is, is that, um, you know, education in many times is a very high-stake environment, and we can't very well ask our faculty to start the semester and sort of build a little bit of the syllabus and then see if it works. And if it doesn't, that's okay, just iterate back because that affects the student's ability to learn. And, and so I'm, I'm always hesitant when people talk about trying to take what are really uh, programming and project management ideas like Agile and Scrum and apply them to education. Um, I personally think that looking at something like design thinking is much better aligned Um, One where you sort of sit around and you brainstorm about ideas, you validate those with a community, um, you know, and then you sort of iterate through that. But the idea is that that the product sort of may come later in uh, in the design thinking process and may be somewhat more fully formed. It it takes longer to do that, but I think it, it would be much more comfortable for faculty if they thought about a course redesign in a design thinking way rather than sort of doing it as an agile or a scrum thing where you're just going to sort of scream through it and you know in two weeks we'll figure out if that worked or not and and then the students are like wait we had a syllabus or worse we didn't have a syllabus and we're just sort of building as we go which you know might be a really interesting thing for some students to do once in a while but I would hate to think it would be terrifying, I think, as a student to think about, uh, you know, running through uh, an entire year where you don't know sort of more than a couple of weeks out what's going on. Yeah, definitely not something to probably try with your intro math classes, huh? Right. <laughs> Again, it might be fun with a with sort of a a seminar style class, um, and and there would be some areas agile or scrum like development. Uh, would work. And I think any of these, whether we talk about Agile, Scrum, or design thinking, one of the things we're doing then is um, putting the student in a in the role of co-creator. And I think that is worth talking about. And it's one of those really hard pedagogical changes that we, you know, that a lot of faculty don't even think of. You know, what does the classroom look like if the students are helping to create the structure and content of the course and what does that mean for learning and what does that mean for how we assess them um, and sort of to use the slightly bad word of grade you know how do we grade like in a situation like that yeah I I have to agree it's it is something that people kinda you know I'm I'm the expert in my field I'm the one that knows the topic and it kind of it does set a little bit of uh, an educator on edge almost, where they're looking at it and going, well, the student is going to tell me what they want to learn, but uh, and I've heard a lot of faculty use this the the Henry Ford line where Henry Ford would would say, 
if I asked my customer what they wanted, they'd say faster horses and not an automobile. And they feel like the students are the same way. Like if they asked them what they would want to learn or how they would want to learn, they would just reiterate what they had been taught or how they had been taught in the past. Yeah, interesting, because I think for a lot of faculty, that's exactly the challenge they have. They teach the way they were taught. Right? And, and, and this sense of, I mean, somebody has to break the long jam. Either the faculty member says, I'm going to teach differently than the way I was taught, or the students are going to say, we're going to learn differently than we have in the past. But somebody's got to break that log jam. And the, the faculty are sort of in the position of power currently in a classroom. And, and so it is probably the onus is on the faculty member to try something different. Um, I, I also think that there is there can be this sense of there is a difference between sort of knowledge distribution, right? There is a set of content you must know in order to be successful in a given field and, and actual learning. And I, I think the faculty uh, still need to keep an eye on what the, what the end goal is for the course, what the learning objectives is. But I think the place that the students can really be sort of co-creators is the process by which you get there. And if you have, uh, if you've got the flexibility, and you have learning environments and technology that help you enable this, you can sort of construct the classroom experience on the fly, uh, and let it evolve over the period of a semester, and understand that that may never be duplicated. Um, and I, I think that's another thing about this. This isn't. We aren't looking to do this at scale. You know, what we're looking to do is say for this classroom. Um, this group of learners and this uh, faculty member have done this thing that got them to the goals. And again, that may never be repeated again because next semester we're going to have a different group of, minimally a different group of students and sometimes a different faculty member. So it may be about sort of defining the outcomes at the end and having a path that you could take if there are no other good suggestions um, but, but then sort of letting that grow organically over the period of a semester. Yeah, that, that is the, the, almost the trick to it or, you know, that situational outcome where it worked in this situation, but it could be the student body that you had, it could be the instructor that you had, it could be the technology that you had, what, what actually is the you know, the leading factor that produced that outcome, or is it the combination of three? And unfortunately, usually it is the combination of the three, which makes it hard to reproduce. Um, right. One thing that I, I would like to see, and I know that education gets a bad rap for this, is when, and you kind of s- talked about it, when there's a study done or they're trying something new, you tend to try it with one class or just a couple classes I really would like to see if there's a way, and maybe the Innovate Conference is something that can kind of bring that up next year. I don't know. But to push for a more widespread trial of a new technique, a new uh, learning style, something, uh, you know, a new layout for a classroom that you could try across uh, varied institutions and have a decent number of classes to kind of get that the number of you know people involved it to a higher level to kind of validate more 
of it because otherwise the process is just so slow. Yeah, I mean, I I think sort of the reality is in education is the process is always slow, and I I think we need to resist this idea that that in order for us in order for education to be relevant, that somehow things have to happen quickly. Um, you know, that's not to say there aren't a lot of challenges in education and the way we've structured things and and how we assess and and sort of what we're valuing, but but I. I do think that there is value in in the sort of the waiting period and the pause um, and what I've heard Amy Collier talk about is you know with these liminal spaces mm-hmm. and and I think that that we have to let those be what they are and and acknowledge the time it will take uh, you know if we try to work on the political cycle that for most places is every couple of years somebody's getting elected for something then we're racing to figure out what the thing is that the people who happen to be holding purse strings want right now quickly before it changes in two years. And that that's a never-ending, you know, that's the dog chasing its tail. And, you know, you never catch it. And when you do, you're not quite sure what to do with it when you have. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we I think we should celebrate the fact that things can take some time in education and we should own it. That is that is true. And you mentioned earlier that there's higher stakes because we are entrusted with that students education and you know m- many of the things that happen in their lives are you know for better or worse results of their education. If they received a really well a well-rounded education, it can really improve their whole life. And so it's the slowness, or whatever you want to call it, um, the steady pace, right, of education is sometimes something to be appreciated. And I I like to look at things a little different, because I'm in the middle of nowhere, and you're in the middle of nowhere in a different sense. (laughs) Uh, I'm in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the United States, uh, South Dakota, where there is not too much happening around and in terms of higher education there's it's a small number of people and you're in the middle of nowhere being in the middle of the ocean in Hawaii so the what technology has allowed us to do to reach out and you know just like you and I are doing right now converse I think it can expedite not so much the you know the trials and just keep pumping out trials but Perhaps it can expedite, you know, the sharing of the information and start to analyze it at a better pace with more minds looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's certainly true. I think that sort of the more that's that sense of crowdsourcing, right? The more people you have uh, looking at a thing, uh, sort of the better you're going to be in terms of outcome at the end. Um, You know, you bring up something interesting in terms of sort of location um, and I would say one of the things here in Hawaii that we're very sensitive to is there's definitely a cultural context to everything that we do and the you know the island culture and the native Hawaiian culture is a very different one than the one that you will see on the mainland US anywhere and so when we talk about sort of having groups of people working together um, I think we have to be we have to understand that there that there will be a different cultural context often 
um, with these larger and larger groups of people. If, if we're somewhat homogenized with saying mainland US, then you, you know, you're probably going to have overall relatively similar um, outlooks on things. But if you start adding you know, the African na nations and the South American nations and Europeans and the Micronesians, right? all of a sudden you, you have all of this time you have to spend building some common reference points. And so I, I think you have to think about your, your group very carefully in terms of what you want your outcome of, to be. Because again, I mean, it would be, it's very interesting, I think, to work with lots and lots of people with lots of different viewpoints. But that almost by definition is slower. And that gets back to what we talked about, which is we have to be willing to accept and embrace the speed at which the process happens because we are complicating the inputs. Embrace the slowness. Yeah, I hope that's not the, the, like the, the, the tagline that comes out from all <laughs> of this, but, but there you go. Well, from an outsider point of view, it can sometimes be seen, they might, you know, do a double take. But, you know, I think if any educator were to hear that, they would go, yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes educators try to tell me that things are moving too fast. Can we please, like, you know, just slow it down just a notch? Like, I hear that quite often from people. And, you know, there's something to be said to, you know, look back at things. And I had mentioned in a previous podcast about the potential disruption of higher education in that many of the people doing it are not educators and they are not looking at it through the same lens as educators who are part of a system of society that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you know, it's not like something where you just start flipping switches because it's social media left and right. Right. Did right, this right. work? Did this work? <laughs> Can't do that. So, no, I, I do like that. Um, the one thing that I, I'm kind of curious, I had mentioned to a couple people at that conference uh, because it's rare that you get such a group of people together that from what I – most of the people I talked to were – very, you know, inspired. And sometimes, you know, at this point of a semester, you, that's not the general case. But they're very inspired type of people. And I wondered if what would happen, and you might have a better, you have a different take on this probably than I do, uh, because I like to think of outcomes instead of some of the, you know, process steps sometimes, is what if, the people there joined together and formed their own university. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's always this, this sense that if we could just start over from scratch, right, we would do so many things differently. Um, and, and if we had only a bunch of, you know, really interesting, really innovative thinkers, that really great innovative things would come out of that. You know, I think there are a couple of challenges with that. One of which is, I I would say overall that that you know the OLC conference and most of the conferences I go to, I'm not sure there's a there's a wide diversity of opinions there. You know, we've all come to that conference. We've already self-selected that you know that educational technology is something we think is important and we think can be transformational. And so if that group forms an institution, we miss the voices asking us, I think, the really hard questions. 
Yeah, I think I think the other thing is that uh, barring any change to the regulatory environment, um, I think you discover very quickly that there are simply things you have to do because you have to do them. You know, you uh, you know, uh, except for a couple of schools that are getting to try new things, you're still stuck, right, with the Carnegie Credit Hour for measuring seat time. Um, so no matter how innovative we get, we're we still have to figure out how to measure everything in you know one, two, and three credit increments. So, you know, this idea that if we could just pull all the innovators out and somehow they would magically come up with a campus that would solve all our problems, I I, I think. Uh, probably doesn't work. You need some pragmatists. You need some realists. You need some pessimists in that institution for it to function in any meaningful way. Otherwise, all we get is some really great ideas, and we never right, really get around to implementation. Well, that's why we have about you know at least a couple dozen CIOs at that conference. <laughs> what, what does that make us the pragmatist or the pessimist in the, the group? The realist. So, the realist I hope of the group. not. That certainly. I mean, the, the folks, that, the CIOs that I'm around, that's not a role that we're interested in. But, you know, I, if it's a role you have to play, you have to play it. But, you know, we're certainly interested in CIOs at being, uh, it was interesting, we had a conversation of, about somebody said, you know, um, to another colleague of mine, you're really an enabler. And he's like, is that a compliment? <laughs> and, and we're like, yes, you know, that is a compliment. You enable other people to do interesting creative things and but it had the word itself has a very negative connotation you you think of it more as you know you're the enabler you the guy you're the guy that got you to come down to the corner and buy that first set of drugs right and that's mm -hmm. the enabler and that's bad somehow but that's you know that's really the role that I think the CIOs want to be playing is sort of the is the enabler in that most positive sense yeah and that is that is exactly true. I, I kid about the CIOs just because when you get to that level, sometimes you have to make tough decisions and decisions you don't you wish you could go and and pursue and stuff with the institution, but that doesn't always play out, unfortunately. And that's true. I mean, that is sort of the nature of the job, and I think that that many of us, you know, you focus on on the sort of fun, exciting parts of the job, and and you hope that the the really hard decisions you don't want to make aren't aren't the thing that you have to do every single day of the week. And I think for most of us that enjoy the job, we've found, a, we've found that balance. You know, we get to do interesting, creative things. We get a chance to fail at some stuff and learn. And, yeah, sometimes there's really hard decisions that just have to get made. All right. Well, I, I think this was a really interesting talk. And it's always fun getting to chat with you because you always have a much different perspective from myself, and I love hearing the different perspectives because, you know, if everyone thought the way I did, I think we'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> we really would because <laughs> I, you know, I'm more, I'm a very headstrong type of person, and I think that it's very good to get different perspectives on things from my point of view. So I uh, love the conversation. Um and you were you mentioned you know what was would be the kind of the salient point of this conversation, and I think it's that we just need to keep moving forward, and to keep lines of communication open, and good things can and usually will happen. Yeah, absolutely, and and the sort of one of the strategies we've used here, and I've used other places, is you help the people along who 
who want to move along and you ensure the people that don't want to move along can still get done what they need to get done. You know, you don't want to leave them behind or make them unable to do their work, but you know, we'll we'll move forward with those that want to and we'll ensure that those that don't can still do things the way they'd like to. That is exactly right. Love it. Well, thank you again for taking the time, Kyle, and uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. Hopefully we'll yep. get a chance to speak in person again soon. Yep, you as well, and thank you very much for having me. All right, well, thank you, and thanks to everybody for taking the time to listen to this, and hope you have a good day.